Good morning. My name is Jack. I'm one of the leaders here at Christchurch. And um, let me just read to you verses 16 to 18 again, which is what we'll be um, looking particularly at this morning. It's a very long passage, so prepare yourself. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We need God's help on this this morning, so why don't I pray? Lord, you are, oh, you're so kind. May we grasp you this morning, no matter how we came through those doors. Lord, help us to hear your kind words this morning. Would you change our hearts for your glory? Amen. Well, um, the Olympics are over, sadly, but I loved watching them. And um, I'm no athlete myself, although, you know, it may look differently, but um, I loved watching it, and it was great. And you'd see the world's best athletes competing against each other and sometimes getting world records. And by far the best event that I came across this year was the climbing. Did any of you see the climbing? See some nods in the back there? I'm no climber, but what they had to do was amazing. Climbing had three rounds, so you'd have a speed round, climbing up a 15-meter high wall, a bouldering round, and then a lead climb round. And my mouth hit the floor when I saw the speed climbing round. It was, it was brilliant. In fact, so good, we're going to watch it now. Stop. Gilbert has beaten Miroslav nine runs to five in direct head-to-heads, and this one's so close. Miroslav looks like she's putting away and does. And it Take is it. a new world well, record, I think, there. But Alexandra Miroslaw, I may have just butchered her name, I apologise for people that know how to pronounce her name. Um, 6.84 seconds up a 50-foot high wall, 15 metres. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, I can barely climb a ladder in 15 seconds, never mind 6.84. It was, I was so good. I was screaming at the TV, my neighbours would have heard me shout at events that I'd only learned about five minutes previously. I got, I got engrossed, it was great fun. And I'm told the key to climbing, not that I do any of it myself, is footing. If you get a good foothold, then like Alexandra, um, you can launch yourself up that wall and do phenomenal things. 6.84 seconds, brilliant. Now, these guys trained for years to do this event, and whilst Alexandra there broke the world record, 6.84 seconds, I don't know if you heard me say. Um, also, there was lots of other athletes who, who didn't make it, and you would see it. Their foot would slip, and that was it. The event is 10 seconds long, and whilst they do a few rounds, their entire Olympic experience may have lasted less than a minute. Four years of painstaking training for less than a minute. I just feel for them, but Alexandra she didn't put a foot wrong. It was brilliant. She absolutely nailed it. But why am I talking about climbing as great as Miroslav is? Because in today's passage, we are given footholds, key footholds that we should have as Christians. And life can often feel like a climb, can't it? I don't know what your days were like, but my day definitely felt like it started with a climb this morning. And we are in this series of 1 Thessalonians, we're doing a deep dive of practical Christianity. 
And um, as we're looking at this, we want to, um, we want to know what, what should we be learning. And in this passage, he's given us these key footholds that without them, we're going to be prone to slip. No matter how many years experience you've had, no matter how much training you've done, if your foot is not in the right hole, then you could slip and it could be painful. So this book was written by Paul, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and he wrote it to a church that he'd set up. He went to Thessalonians, he set it up, and within a month of being there, he had to flee for his life for fear of persecution, fear of being killed. And he found out that this church was still going strong in the Lord. He was so encouraged about them. So this letter is a response to that. So this entire letter is one of encouragement. And as we get to the end of this letter, sort of chapter 5, verse 12 onwards, Paul talks about what normal life should look like amongst Christians. And what's striking in this section is we're met with this brief list of simple commands. Some 19 commands in all, in this really tiny section. Paul is going all gas and no brakes. And he's commuting, communicating one potent specific command after another. See, this is how the gospel is meant to shape us as Christians and the church. This is Paul, it is practical and pastoral best, and his purpose is to give this church and us firm footholds. And this morning we had just a look at three of these commands, verse 16, 17, and 18, and they're all inspired by the gospel, and they're all drawn out more in his letter. In chapter 1, um, we read of Jesus, who delivers us from, raft, from the wrath to come. See, God's love precedes and informs these commands. God has this list of 19 commands in relation to his grace, not in order to earn it. This is not a to-do list. Don't go away this morning thinking, I've got 19 more things to do before Jesus loves me. It is the opposite way around. His love precedes these commands. And these commands... And our obedience, they, they don't create our relationship with God. They, they regulate it. See, our obedience shows the transformed nature of our lives by the gospel. They do, if you hear one thing this morning, these commands do nothing to earn God's grace. See, we need to view these, these commands through the right lens. If we don't, then we're stuck before we even start. So I love this quote that's just appeared on screen. I think it helps us to set our mind in the right direction. And the quote says this, through the blessings of grace, walking with Jesus is no longer a forced march of merit, but a willing response of gratitude, sorry, love, gratitude, and thanksgiving. These commands, they are not a forced march. If you trust Jesus this morning, you are forgiven. You are justified. You are accepted only because of the merits of another, Jesus Christ. See, obeying these commands, using these footholds, as we saw Alexandra do at the beginning, these help us to see what loving devotion looks like. And these commands, these commands are kind. Kind invitations from God to grow our knowledge and love to God. See, through these commands, you will find satisfaction in God and in God alone. These commands are a free gift from God to us this morning. 
I have a four-year-old. Some of you may have seen him the other week. Noah understands gifts. Every Amazon delivery through the door, he thinks it's his. He's like, mine, it's mine, it's for me, it's got my name on it. Can't read, it's mine. See, he grasps gifts. And I want you to be like a four-year-old with gifts this morning as you hear God's word. Okay? Accept these gifts for you this morning. Decide that you are going to receive them. See, he sends them to lift our burdens. We all have come through those doors with different burdens. But this morning, you can leave here distinctively free if we grasp these truths. And as you read these verses, it's not the command to rejoice or pray or be thankful that I think we struggle with. But it's the, it's the comprehensive nature of them, isn't it? It's the rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. See, the comprehensive nature of them can just seem, well, let's be honest, at first glance, it can seem, seem utterly overwhelming and impossible. I went to church today and I got a list of new commands I've got to do, more things I've got to go home with. Thanks for that. My shopping list was busy enough this week, but now I've got extra things. No, that's, that's not what this is. It's because we misunderstand the nature of these commands. These commands are good news, and they bring life-changing power. Well, let's throw ourselves right in. So verse 16, rejoice always. Easy memory verse. If any of you want to take it home, rejoice always. And I want you to wear the Thessalonian shoes for a minute. And this is a mind-boggling command to give them. They were under persecution. In fact, they'd been under persecution from the very start of them coming to trust in Jesus. They thought this persecution would end, but it didn't. It just went on and on and on. And now Paul writes to them, hey guys, I know you've been persecuted, but rejoice! Rejoice always, he says. See, he reminds them of this duty in the face of persecution and personal suffering, not just when life's good. If you flip back to chapter 1, verse 6, you see that Paul says, they'd received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want them being robbed of their joy that they received when they got saved. Rejoice always, he says. And he tells them to rejoice despite the many reasons they might have for suffering. See, Paul wants them to see the hand of God in whatever is happening and to remain certain of their salvation. See, without, without such a joy, their, such conviction, their joy would have been robbed. In the face of persecution, suffering, even death, it would have been impossible. See, the hand of God is always, always, always at work in their lives. Paul had modeled this to them. And this letter is to help sent, them, sent to them to help them to perceive how God is at work and how to respond. Take the opening verses of Paul's letter in verse, chapter 1, verse 2. We see this. We always thank God for you, for all of you, and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The hand of God is at work in the Thessalonians, and that is what informs Paul's rejoicing here. 
Rejoice always, he commands us. Why? Because his hand is graciously at work in your lives, providing you something to rejoice in, beginning with your salvation. And since the, work of God is all, the hand of God is always at work in your life, there's always something to rejoice in. If we're paying attention and if we know what we should be looking for, even in the midst of suffering, there is reason to rejoice. Let me steal a quote from a Puritan. Um, he has this great line. He says, Our tendency is to pour over losses rather than ponder our mercies. A gracious heart spies out mercy in every condition. Oh, that's true. I'm British. I'm great at complaining. I can pour over my losses all day long. But this command, rejoice always. That's the command. And it's teaching us to spy out God's mercy in our lives, wherever you are. Where do you see the merciful hand of God at work in your life? Rejoice always, even if you are suffering, especially if you are suffering. The gracious hand of God is at work in your life regardless. Are you aware of it? Rejoice always. Or are you preoccupied with the losses? See, if you look for it, you will find it. Paul says rejoice always. And it's not meaninglessly and foolishly ignoring our current circumstances. That's not what this is. The Thessalonians had it tough. They've recently lost loved ones we read in chapter 4 yet they're still rejoicing. And it doesn't mean never being sad or sorrowful, but it's having this, this underlying attitude of joy, a firm trust in God, even in the midst of trials, to be able to say, your will be done. Rejoice always. And if this is, if this is something you struggle with, if you're sitting there going, but you don't know what I've got on, then do something about it today. God's word is trustable and dependable. Let's, let's lean on it. Devote some unhurried time today to observe where you can see God at work in your life, to recognize the many ways the hand of God is at work. And when you look up from that list, I promise you this, you will have found a firm footing. It will not be hard to rejoice always, for God is always graciously at work, providing us plenty of reason to rejoice in. And as you rejoice, you will find your affections for him, your love of him, just deepen as you grasp his love for you. That brings us to our second verse this morning. Pray continually, pray unceasingly. Um, one of the few sports that I attempt to play is squash. I know you've ever played squash, but you're in a small room, which is great because it means I don't have to run far to collect the ball that I've just lobbed in the wrong direction. And you play intensively for 40 minutes. A lot of it is me going to pick up the ball that I've dropped. And it's utterly exhausting. And I will feel the pain of it three days later. may say something about my athleticism, but it's really good fun. And if someone told me to go and play squash for 40 minutes, I'm like, yep, let's go and do it. Let's go and embarrass myself. If someone told me to go play squash for three hours, uh, no thanks, I'm out. If someone told me to go and play squash continually, well, come on, you're being daft now. That's just, that's just not possible, is it? See, this is not what Paul is commanding us here about prayer. 
He isn't saying, go and play squash continually. Go and pray continually. He's trying to encourage us to pray, not remind us all of what a bad prayer life, prayer life can often seem like. I've got other responsibilities. I can't do my job or look after my kids or play squash if I'm supposed to be praying continually. And there's a place for unhurried prayer in our life. For me, I try to do that in the morning. I use an app called Prayer Mate, and it's got a list of all the people I want to pray for. And if I miss a day, two days, a week, I can go straight back on. Everyone's there. So there's a time and a place for that sort of unhurried prayer. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. See, that, that practice of prayer prepares me for this command throughout the day. Paul is not asking for constant, uninterrupted prayer. Only in chapter 4, he's told the Thessalonians to go and work hard. See, if we devoted ourselves to constant prayer, we would not be able to go and do all the other things this letter commands us to do. So, what does he mean then? What does pray continually actually mean? Well, let me show you a brief video in a second. And I like these videos because, mainly because I have several, my wife's not here so I can say this, I have several near misses with my children each week. How they are not more black and blue because I've dropped them, forgotten about them, or left them unattended amazes me. And this video reassures me because it helps me to think that I'm not the only one who has these near misses. Let's have the video. Dad points, right there. That man, dad points, okay? Half asleep, but rescues his kid. It's brilliant. Um, let's move on aside, otherwise we will all get distracted by Mr. Dad Point here. Um, but what I like this is that he's got this peripheral vision. He's aware of his kids. He may be semi-conscious and asleep, but boom, he's caught his child, okay? And that is a little bit similar to what Paul is talking about here. He doesn't want us to leave behind our spiritual peripheral vision. See, during the entire day, it's not, it's not the prayer is limited to a time or a location. We're never to lose sight of God in our daily life. And it's not prescribed hours, but rather prayer is meant to, it's meant to permeate our lives. And this, pray continually, is a kind invitation. We, we don't deserve it. From God himself to you, to enjoy communion with him. It's not just a fixed time of the day. I, I need this command. I really need this command. I need it as my companion, particularly as I go into a busy day. At 7 o'clock this morning, I was having an anxiety attack. I need this as a companion. I need this so that I can always speak to God, to lean on him, to commune with him, without neglecting my other responsibilities, to spend time with my best friend, who also happens to be the most powerful person in the universe that, by the way, he created. If prayer is merely an activity, something to do, then pray without ceasing. It's going to sound oppressive, isn't it? Another thing on my to-do list. But if prayer is communion with God, spending time with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, then we are going to hear this command differently this morning. Enjoy God without ceasing. 
Depend on God without ceasing. Gain strength from God without ceasing. See, he is always near and always faithful. We need to hear this command this morning as God intends. And if previously we've just heard this as an onerous task, we need to hear it differently this morning. This is an invitation from God to commune with him, to be with him, regardless of your time, place, location. doesn't matter what you're doing or where you are. He doesn't require you on bowed knees. Charles Spurgeon was an influential preacher about 200 years ago, and he had a great line about playing this. He said this, I always feel it well to put a few words of prayer between everything I do. I love that. Spurgeon was busier than you are. I don't care how busy your diary was, he was ridiculously, hectically busy. But throughout his days, he didn't cease praying. Just a few words between everything I do. This, this gives me hope. My prayers don't need to be full of impressive theological terms or long or lengthy or have these or thous. That's not what it's about. Just a few words to my God between everything I do. Driving to work. Doing my work. Fighting with my computer to turn on the fourth time this day. Thanking God that I haven't dropped my child again. See, our prayers don't need to be long and elaborate, but frequent and fervent. Paul says, pray continually. And will you accept this, this kind invitation from our God today? To draw near to him unceasingly. To enjoy God unceasingly. To depend on him unceasingly. To draw strength from God unceasingly. To experience the nearness of God unceasingly, by praying unceasingly. Will you make the most of this kind foothold that God has provided you? Will you accept this free gift and enjoy it and make the most of it? Well, that brings us to our third and final verse for today. Give thanks in all circumstances. Here we have another command that, let's be honest, sounds, sounds a bit rough for the Thessalonians. They were being persecuted. And yet Paul tells them, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, Paul isn't saying spend all day giving thanks. No, this command is a reminder. In the midst of any and all circumstances, we can give thanks to God. And this simple command, when obeyed, will have a profound effect on your heart. It will, it will change your life. See, if you follow this command, it will have a discernible impact on your life. It will affect your walk with God. In fact, Others will notice it and may even come to Christ because of it. Don't believe me? Test drive it. Depend on this word. Lean on it. See if it's true. This is meant to be an observable distinctive amongst Christians. It's not just the Thessalonians, but for me and for you. To give thanks in all circumstances, all of them. There are no circumstances exist in life, including everything in your life, where this does not apply. And it doesn't say, thank God for all circumstances. We're not supposed to give thanks to God for sin. But it says, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Because God is at work in all circumstances. Sanctifying us and glorifying himself. See, we're meant to meet the adverse circumstances of life 
not with this like stoic face of I will battle on, but rather with an attitude of unfailing gratitude. How do you meet the adverse circumstances in your life when things are tough? Do you meet them with this unfailing attitude? See, there's plenty of things to give thanks to God for because God is wonderfully at work in all things. I stumbled um, across this story recently. Um, This man was in Alaska and for some reason he thought it would be a good idea to see what was in that hole in the tree. And unfortunately for him, what was in the hole of that tree was a porcupine. And he got a tad too close. Now, some sort of porcupine disaster threatens each of us every day. We live in a fallen world. I hope and pray that you never stick your head in a tree with a porcupine in. I hope this is never your experience, but maybe this picture, you could go, actually, yeah, that's how my life feels at the moment. That's me. Perhaps you face a different set of circumstances. You're not facing a porcupine, but whatever you are facing in life, this picture could represent just how battered you may feel at the moment, what's happening in life. You may feel trapped, or in his case, speared, or porcupine. I'm not quite sure the verb I'm looking for there, but perhaps the climb of life just seems unbearable for you at the moment. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. This is not to minimize the harsh reality of pain and suffering, because pain and suffering is very real, and it's very painful, and it can be very hard. But this command is a gift. It's a gift for all of us particularly when facing difficulties. See, this command, when, when we apply it, it will, it will free our souls, it will liberate us in the midst of a hard day. Are you aware today, freshly aware, that God is generously and graciously at work in your life? So you have plenty of reasons to give thanks. And as you begin to give thanks, you'll experience, you'll experience the transforming effect of this command. These commands... They are gifts. They're invitations from God. And this one is to help us see the undeserved kindness that we receive in life. We're to count our blessings, each and every one. See, if you don't count something, it's really easy to miss, isn't it? You won't perceive them. If you don't see them, then it's just so easy to let things pass by. Three, four years ago, I was going through, I'd say the hardest season of my life and at times it felt like I was climbing an impossible wall and I tried at that point to be intentional about counting my blessings and you know what happened turns out the bible is true I was shocked by how easy it was to produce a list even in the hardest time of my life my life isn't perfect and is a long way from being perfect and it was even less perfect back then but actually it was easy to come up with this list It was easy to give thanks in those circumstances because I recognized I was doing far better than I deserved. If you don't count them, you will remain blind. And if we're blind, we will do the most British thing and be a champion of complainers. This command is to provoke us to count. Will you make the most of this foothold? Will you count your blessings and give thanks in all circumstances? 
the verse goes on to say, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will. This is the will of God. Paul is making it clear here that rejoicing, praying and thanksgiving, it's not just a like, casual recommendation from Paul. It's like, oh, go to that restaurant. No, this is, he underlines it with the authority of God. This is a command. These things, these generous, kind commands are the center of God's will for the Christian. You don't have to wonder what the will of God is for your life. The will of God begins right here in these verses with these commands. We cannot expect to know God's will for a particular circumstance in our life if we're ignoring these commands. They are the center of God's will for each Christian. This is how we orient our life to God's will. Verse 16 to 18 that we're looking at today, that of rejoicing, praying, and thanking. See, they are the fuel to do all the other commands. They are the foothold that we need to do those other commands. And we need them. And they're the footholds because these commands are how we relate to God. If we're not rejoicing, praying, thanksgiving, if we're not enjoying those sweet benefits of communion with him, then we're going to find the verses that we've looked at the last two weeks really burdensome, really hard. Verse 14 and 15, we're talking about how we are, as brothers and sisters, supposed to be warning each other how we're supposed to strive for something good. And if that sounds tiresome to you, if that just sounds like a lot of work, then it's probably because there's something in these verses that rejoice always, praying, continuing, giving thanks that when we're not getting. See, these are the fuels. These are the footholds. If you want to climb that wall in 6.84 seconds, you need these footholds this morning. And note the verse goes on to say, this is the will of God for them in Christ Jesus. Obeying these commands is only possible because of Jesus Christ. What he has done for you and in you is only possible to follow these commands if you are in Jesus. That's Paul's description of the work of the Spirit. That those who were once separated from him are now joined with him. We get all the good stuff that Jesus did and it gets attached to your name. And that is just good news, isn't it? And the verse ends with this. Give thanks for this is God's will for you. For you. This phrase personalizes these commands. It addresses each of us by name in this room this morning. Your name is attached. He makes eye contact with each of us this morning in and through this phrase. These commands are from the gracious God who rescued you from his wrath by sending his son. And these commands, the Lord happily announces, they're for you. They're for you. From me, the one who rescued you. They're for you, for your good. God makes eye contact with each of us this morning through this phrase. And he says, I'm good. And I mean only good for you. For you. By these commands... Gifts from me to you, footholds to lift your burdens from your hearts, to deepen your knowledge of me, to deepen your affection for me, to deepen our friendship. Put your feet here in these footholds, in these verses, and you'll be able to do the commands. Why? Because you'll be drawing your strength from me, he says. Just how kind he is. 
Do you, do you know this kind God? Today, right now, will you accept these gifts? If you've been a Christian in length of time, there are things this morning that may have triggered something for you that you just need to be reminded of how good God is. Do business with him today. Don't leave without grasping these commands that they are for you. God's given them so that we can know him better. Will you enjoy these commands? Will you make the most of these foretolds? Let's pray. Lord, you are, you're kind. Let us grasp the depths of that this morning. May we be people who rejoice always celebrating what you have done. May we delight in praying to you throughout the day, knowing that we can come, we can come to you at any time and enjoy sweet communion with you. May we be people who are really quick at counting our blessings living lives of thankfulness. Lord, today, help us to grasp these footholds. May we be people who put them into action. May we be able to face all life's challenges knowing that we can always rejoice, pray continually, and in all circumstances, we can give thanks to you. Amen.